Good morning again. How's everybody doing this morning? You with us? Woo! Can we just thank the band for leading us in a time of worship this morning? It's so great to get to sing songs to God and about God. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Venture Church and so glad to be back in the house. Uh, it has been a rough couple of weeks. Let me go and tell you. Some of you have heard, some of you haven't. And I just want to thank you for a lot of prayer that a lot of you have been saying for me. Uh, my whole family got COVID. You know, we thought we were done with the pandemic. And then boom, we went to a summer camp and uh, someone dropped a COVID bomb on that summer camp and about 25 of us got sick. Uh, uh, and so, man, it's been a, a long, uh, I guess we're getting close to three weeks being out uh, and, and getting better. So thank you for the phone calls and the texts and some of you brought us food. And uh, it's so cool to be part of a church family that for years we've been building and being part of and being able to love on other people. And there was a couple moments where people were loving on us and I just, I was just uh, almost in tears thinking of the love coming back to us. So thank you for that. Uh, it's been a couple of eventful weeks for our church as well. Uh, we have had two baptisms in the last uh, two, three weeks. Uh, my son Silas was baptized at summer camp, so celebrating that. Um, and Cameron Hooks, Cameron's one of our teenagers that comes to youth group uh, every week. And so Cameron, uh, we had a baptism Tuesday for Cameron. So let's just celebrate Cameron's new birth into Christ. Um, if you're thinking about being baptized or want to know more what it means to, to, to be immersed into Christ, uh, please come talk to me after church. We'd love to see that. That's one of the very first steps of faith that you can take in your walk with Jesus and something that we love to be part of. Let's get into today's teaching. A few months ago, I had a really cool opportunity to sit with my family. We sat in the floor around this old box, okay, and inside this box were old letters and old uh, newspaper clippings and things from the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. They belonged to my great-grandparents. It was really neat. And so looking through those things, there was like a bunch of personal letters. There was a bunch of newsletters from their church and then newspaper clippings. Because remember back in the day, like the greatest thing that could ever happen in your life is get your name in the paper. And for decades, they cut it out every time and they put it in this box. It was really neat. And um, in looking through all that stuff, it was really cool because some of it was foreign and some of it was familiar. There was some foreign stuff in there that I just didn't even get. It was like hopping into a time machine and going to a time when I just, what, what is this? What are they talking about? Specifically, there was this letter from like a great, great uncle that I never heard of. Uh, maybe great, great, great. I'm not sure how many greats he was. I'm sure he was great. But a letter from him. And he was upset about something. He was just fussing about something and he was just going off. But you know how like if you're only listening to one half of a telephone conversation, you don't know what is going on. I don't know what he was mad about. I don't know what he was talking about. I guess my great grandparents did. And we were like, man, this guy... He needs like a back rub or something, like he's mad. It was weird. But then there were some really familiar things. Probably the coolest thing, in my opinion, that we found was a letter that my grandmother had written when she went to college. It was like her first weekend away. She went to East Carolina Teachers School, which is now East Carolina University. And it was in 1948. She was 18 years old. And she wrote a letter home to mom and dad. And it was like, mom, next time you come, could you bring me some curtains for my room? And my roommate's a smoker, and I don't know how I feel about that. And like all these little things. I was like, huh. And that, those are two little details from the story. I'm like, that is, that is a really neat picture into my grandmother's life. My grandmother passed away years ago. Um, and to get to see her. Now, the things about it that were neat was how familiar it was because her handwriting was the same. My grandma wrote me dozens of letters through my life. And, and when she was 18, she had the same handwriting. The way she carried herself and the things she said, the things she talked about, so familiar. And when you look at old things like that, it is just so cool to step into that time machine 
and see what things were like in a time that you didn't live in. If you've got a Bible today, go ahead and grab it. We've got free ones we give away at the coffee bar back there. If you want one, there's a shelf kind of near the door. Uh, we want everybody to have a good readable version of the Bible. So whether you need one just for today to borrow, borrow it, or if you want to keep it, keep it. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy because we're wrapping up a series today that we started way back in the first week of June through the book of 1 Timothy. And it's been kind of like sitting around that old box, pulling out old letters and finding some things foreign and some things familiar to wrap our minds around. Now, we've been through this series and it's been, uh, it's been quite a journey because we found out that here, here's the context of the story in case you haven't uh, been with us or, or you've forgotten. Uh, it was written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy who was a pastor at a church in the city of Ephesus. We also have the book of Ephesians in the Bible, same church group. And Timothy is getting a letter from Paul of instruction because there was some stuff going down in the Ephesian church that needed to be addressed by a leader. And so we've covered a lot of those things and to give you like the, the snapshot of it, basically, there was a group of people who were causing a lot of problems because they were teaching false doctrine and they were uh, leading people astray from the messages that had been taught by the Apostle Paul and others. And most importantly, it was not pointing people back to Jesus. And so Paul's asking Timothy to deal with this group of people. He calls out a few of them by name. Uh, he outlined what good leadership should look like. And he said, listen, this is what your sh leadership should look like, not what these guys are doing. He encouraged Timothy to set the example himself uh, in chapter four. And then in chapter five, uh, Patrick preached for me the first week I was sick and he handled a really interesting topic of how to deal with people in the church and try to discern who needs to be helped and who needs to work it out and help themselves. And that was an interesting kind of thing that's got to be done there. And so just like my reaching into that old box of letters, uh, we're going to reach one last time into that old letter, 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at the last chapter of the book today. Because Paul's not done, he's got a few more things he wants Timothy to address. I said there's some things foreign and some things familiar, and we're going to kick off in chapter 6 today with something that I hope for all of us is pretty foreign. But it was something going on in Ephesus at the time, in fact all over the world, and it was the issue of slavery among Christians. So let's take a look at that. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 1, and let's just pick up right there. He says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. Okay, there's a lot going on in Ephesus, add slavery to the list. This is the first century, this is in the Roman Empire, and slavery has been a part of society since ancient times, and it's, it's you know, a horrendous thing. I don't have to stand here and convince anybody in here that slavery is a bad idea or a bad thing, but it was really cool to see that when the church begins to blossom, very, very early on, this is in the early first couple of decades of the church, slaves are becoming Christians. Not only that, not only are they hearing the message of Jesus, but they're worshiping alongside free people and then apparently worshiping alongside even some of their own masters. Can you imagine that demographic? Can you imagine that interesting thing, sitting beside someone in a small house church that owns you and you're a slave? But that's what's going on. Uh, now, eventually Christian values are going to turn 
the Roman society upside down. And eventually it's going to be getting rid of slavery. And it's pretty cool what Christianity and Christian values have done around the world to eradicate slavery from all areas. I mean, there are still areas in the world where it's, where it's happening. Uh, but this is before that. This is before that. And there's a group of people within the church at Ephesus that are slaves that Paul has a message for. And it's an interesting message. He says, you need to show respect to your master. So that, verse one, so that the name of God, sorry, so that God's name and our teachings may not be slandered. Now, that was the cultural context of what was going on. I said there was foreign things and there's familiar things. And what in the world has that got to do with us today? Um, as I studied through this and tried to understand for myself, like what lessons could I learn from it? I landed on what I think might be one of the most valuable lessons in the whole Bible, and we see it in a lot of different places. What if this is the lesson from this little message on slavery? Your work reflects God's name. None of us are slaves here in the way that those people were slaves, but all of us find ourselves subservient to someone at some point, don't we? In fact, a lot of us, if not all of us, at some point find ourselves subservient to someone that we do not respect. And we don't want to respect. I'm talking about maybe your employer, your manager, someone that you've got to listen to all the time and take instruction from. Maybe it's a teacher or a professor. Maybe you've got issues with law enforcement officers. That's a big thing in our culture right now. And you just, I don't want to respect them. Maybe it's a government official. Or maybe it's the government, capital G. And there's a lot of reasons to see people who are in authority and be like, I don't want to respect them. Maybe it's a little closer to home. Maybe you're one of our, our kids in the room today and you're still under the authority of your parents at your house. But you look at your parents and you're like, that's not someone that I respect. I think the lesson here is that whoever you live under, in whatever place you have yourself in society, we've got to shine our light. And your work reflects God's name. And I want to put this in perspective because we look at this, because the first thing I want to do is write it off. This is about slaves in an ancient culture. But if Paul is saying this to a group of slaves, how much more to a group of free people do we need to learn to show God's character in everything we do, even in situations where we don't want to respect people? So that was a little bit of a bomb that I felt like, like got dropped in my lap as I read that passage. And so uh, that's the first lesson from 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. The second lesson begins halfway through verse 2. And so we're going to jump into the next thing. This is a little more familiar, I think. These are the things that you're to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching... They're conceited and understand nothing. Remember, we've been talking about this group of leaders at the church who were like giving false doctrine and they were leading people away from Jesus. Verse four, um, halfway through verse four, they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. And listen to this, who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now remember, the broader section, the broader like uh, kind of context of all of 1 Timothy is dealing with these leaders who are false teachers and they're leading people astray. But here in verse five, we get a special picture about what these leaders are doing. It says they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. 
This topic is one that has caused so much hurt in the world. Leaders taking advantage of people for financial gain, specifically among Christian leaders. And I don't have to tell you the stories, and you've heard them, and you've seen people on TV taking advantage of people's, you know, spiritual vulnerability. Why? So you can give a little extra money in the offering for later. Send us something, and you'll get a healing, and all kinds of stuff like that. And I don't know exactly what was going on in Ephesus, but there are these people who saw godliness as a means to financial gain. And Paul's message to Timothy is this, it's got to stop. As a Christian leader myself, it sickens me to think that someone would take advantage of God's gospel and, and, and our path to his presence and take advantage of people to try to get their money out of them. It's, it's like sickening, right? What kind of despicable person are you? He's like, this has got to stop. So then in verse six, he gives what I believe is a great start to a solution. He says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We're talking about gain here, right? Financial gain. And I love this little play on words that Paul has. You want gain? I got your gain. Godliness and contentment. Not more riches. Be happy with what you got and seek godliness. He unpacked it some more in verse seven. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Guys, we work so hard to make money. It is literally what gets most of us out of bed in the morning. I'm gonna go to work and I'm gonna make money. Why? Because I got bills to pay. Why? Because I can't say no to anything. I gotta swipe my credit card and buy something else and buy something else and buy something else. Why? Because I need it. Oh, that means I gotta work more. And it is this like cycle that we get into. Now here's the deal. I've taught many times on uh, what God values work to be. I mean, God gave us work as a gift. It's the way that we show his glory in this world. It's the same thing that Paul was saying to the slaves in Ephesus. He was like, listen, your work reflects God's name. And so it's really good to work. But when our financial and material things begin to take the place on the throne in our heart, it's a problem. It's a big problem. And if you look through history at the wealthiest people who have ever lived, there are so many examples of really rich people, famous people, celebrities and, and you know, kings and all kinds of things that had everything in the world, but they still weren't happy. They still felt incomplete and lonely. A lot of them become paranoid, unhappy, broken. They get the very thing that all of us wake up in the morning hoping for and it's still not enough. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He says in verse 10, he says, for the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Jesus talks about it this way. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Our relationship with our material possessions, our money, our stuff, our riches, our treasures, are a great indicator of the state of our heart and our spiritual health. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And the thing is, the struggle is real. Paul is talking to a group of church leaders for taking advantage of people spiritually and they see that godliness is a means to financial gain. But here's the deal. I don't think that this message is exclusive to those church leaders who were screwing up in the early church. I think that this message is something that all of us need to hear. Because how often do we put our material things as the king of our heart? And we pursue these things and we chase these things to our own detriment and our own destruction. Um, What do we do about it? Well, Paul has some great instruction and he's gonna give us what I think is like basically a four-part outline on how to deal with the temptation of material, uh, you know, being trapped by our material stuff and greed and that kind of stuff. Let's look at it in verse 11. Paul says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I see four key words here. So if you're a note taker or even if you're not, this is a great, I have this literally jotted down in the margin of my Bible, which is why if this sounds familiar, it's because we did a series on contentment not too long ago. And in this passage, this four part outline has stuck with me for years and I love it. These are the four words you see in this, these two verses, verses 11 and 12. The words are flee, pursue, fight, and take hold. Flee, pursue, fight, and take hold. And so make note of these, we're gonna go through each one. Paul sees an issue with the people that Timothy's dealing with, and it is something to do with their focus on material things. And he says, listen, I want you to get out of that. It's interesting that he uses these words because these are kind of like battle strategy words. You would think he would give like financial advice words, invests and dividends and things like that. That's not the words he gives. He gives battle strategies. Let's go through them. The first one is flee. Flee. Fleeing means to run away from something dangerous. (laughs) Like that's typically what it means. If you see a snake or a big spider and you're scared of snakes or spiders, boom, you're gone. And the thing is, we don't think much about fleeing. If there's an explosion, if there's a loud noise, it's an instinct. We just act, right? We We just flee because there's something built into us that wants to get away from dangerous things. But there is a pitfall in spiritual dangers that we don't, instinctively run away from spiritual dangers. In fact, many times spiritual dangers can seem like blessings. Think about the way we feel about our stuff. And we're like, man, surely God wants me to have all of this. It feels so good to have a new car and another new phone, even though I just got a new one last year and I'm never gonna actually pay for this one. It feels so good to just have this thing that I want and to always have instant gratification. It feels good, it feels good. Why would I flee from that? And we begin to hoard our coins like an old miser and suddenly we find ourselves trapped and we can't get out of it because it doesn't feel right. Now, here's the thing. I believe that the Bible does teach us that we have blessings. I've experienced in my life and God talks about it all the time. But again, the problem happens when it takes over our heart. And instead of fleeing, we embrace it closer. That's why knowing God's word and surrounding yourself with godly people and godly counsel is so valuable. Because we need to have people speaking into our lives saying, hey, you need to take a step back from that. It's okay that you can't pay that bill. Maybe you just need to give that thing back. Maybe you'll need it. Maybe you need more time at home with your family instead of working 60, 80, 100 hours a week. Maybe that would be more valuable in the end. 
Um, so he says flee from that because that mentality is toxic. And many people in the pursuit of money have gone to their own destruction over it. Then he says the second word, pursue. Okay, it's not just flee. Flee is to run away. Pursue is about running towards something good, something intentional. Paul gives us a great list of things that we can pursue. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Here's my challenge for you this week, okay? I want you to take those words, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, and I want you to spend some time this week understanding those things. Dive into God's word, get a dictionary, Google it, Wikipedia, whatever you gotta do, and ask yourself, what does it mean to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness? We could do a six-week sermon series on this if we had to, but we all need to grow in our own faith, right? We need to get in our own Bibles. We need to have our own journals and our own research time. These are the things that we should pursue instead of just financial gain or all the other simple things that sometimes can pull us away. In other words, he's saying, listen, pursue godly character. Be less concerned about being a person of great value and be more concerned about being a person of great virtue because this is the person that will learn what it means to seek godliness with contentment is great gain. But you men of God, flee from all of this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then in step three, verse 12 is the third word, fight. Fight the good fight. Of, it's a fight, okay? The reason that this world seems so hard sometimes it's because there is a battle going on for our souls. Maybe you remember the book of Ephesians, the same group of people that Paul's writing to here, but in the book of Ephesians chapter six, this talk, this, this fight is something that Paul spends some time talking about. Uh, Ephesians six verse 12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's why this whole section has got battle language in it, not financial language or other advice like that, because this is a battle. But it's important for us to remember that our battle is not with each other. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And so easily, we get so strapped up. That's why we fight with our spouses. That's why we fight with our coworkers. That's why we give people rude gestures on the road because we think our battle is with them. But our battle's not with them. Now, sometimes the spiritual struggle manifests itself through people. <laughs> and we want to set them spiritually straight. <laughs> but our battle's a spiritual battle. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And we've got to fight for that. You've got to wake up every single morning and think of yourself as a soldier in an army on the front lines of a battle because whether you want to be or not, you are. And we need the tools for spiritual battle. We need the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our life. That happens when we come to him in confession and we, and we decide to uh, give our life over to him. We're told in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that anyone who is baptized in Christ has been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a powerhouse in our life. We need to have the tool of Jesus' forgiveness and grace in our life because we're not good enough, you know? We're not gonna be able to handle this on our own. We gotta have that in the fight. And we gotta have godliness and contentment to fight some of the harder battles in this world. So flee, uh, pursue, fight, the good fight of faith. And then finally, this last one, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold, the word is take hold, the phrase. He tells Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
Have you ever done this? I do it all the time because I'm a, I'm a nutty professor. Uh, but you ever done this like you can't find uh, your sunglasses? And you're like looking for your sunglasses and you're asking your kids like, where's my sunglasses? And you go and you look in your car. Even your wife's looking for them because my wife, I don't know about y'all's wives, but my wife can find anything and it's not, it's not lost until Lindsay can't find it, right? So you can't find it and you're like, oh, you're frustrated. And then you're like, oh, they were on my head the whole time. <laughs> I have my sunglasses the whole, you ever had that? Okay, that's what's happening with Timothy uh, and the people there in Ephesus right now. Paul is saying, listen, you're going through a battle. You're going through a struggle. You're, doing, you're making some poor choices here. Your leadership is off kilter. But guys, you got the answer on your head the whole time. You need to take hold, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of that. Since day one at our church, what we've wanted people to understand is that we have got to be a people who, who learns to solve the problems of our life with Jesus. And you might be in a place where you've been a Christian, a believer for a really long time, and maybe you just need to be reminded, your sunglasses are on your head. You've got Jesus with you right now, okay? Stop worrying about solving it on your own and in other ways, lean into what God's presence in your life is doing. Take hold of that. The victory's already been won. The promises have been given, but you've got to take hold of it. And you might be here in the room today or watching online and you've never really done that. You haven't made a full-on commitment to Jesus. And one, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching. This is a safe place for this journey. It's totally cool if you're not all on board with every single thing I say or anybody else says. But I want you to know, you can take hold of that too. God's presence in your life, the forgiveness of your sins, the fresh start, the new life. Take hold of it. Flee, pursue, fight, and take hold of the victory. In verse 13, Paul starts to wrap up this letter. And I think it's like after he's gone through all this heavy stuff and he's talked about the struggles that Timothy's dealing with, I imagine Timothy, you know, he's reading through that letter from the old box and he's just like, oh man, I got so much to deal with here at this church. I got so many people. To, could, did you ever thought about what happened with Timothy after he read the letter? Like he had to do all that stuff. And so Paul kind of goes into like a prayer, which I think was meant to calm Timothy and remind him some things. Let's look at it. Verse 13, he says, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will, be, which God will bring about in his own time. God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who sits in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be the honor and might forevermore. There are several places in scripture where someone just lays it out, who is God? And this is one of those places for me, and it, it makes me stop and pause and, oh yeah. It's like, God is so big, compare him to your problems. God is so big, compare him to your ability to solve your problems. Timothy, I know you got a lot on your plate, but I want you to remember the sovereign God who's got it under control. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. Life can be heavy. There can be so many things pulling on from every single angle. I, I had that feeling this week. I was feeling down. I, I, guys, I've been in bed for the better part of two weeks feeling sick. And that, if you know me, like I don't sit still very often. 
And so I'm sitting there feeling worthless. <laughs> and I, as I was studying for this sermon, I'm going to tell you the reason I'm sharing this with you because it's true, okay? I read that passage about who God is, and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. He doesn't actually need me to do anything. I, I, he's got this, but he wants to use me, and he wants to give me purpose. And then Paul brings it back to the conversation he was talking about in verse 17. And I think out of the whole book of 1 Timothy, this, this next little section has been the most powerful for me. So let me give you that. Maybe it can be powerful for you. In verse 17, he says, so command those who are rich in this present world. By the way, that's us, America, okay? That's us. And we're not even gonna try to split hairs over who's rich, America, all right? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, and in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He's like, listen, if you're gonna worry about being rich, look back at verse 17, sorry, verse 18. If you're gonna be worried about being rich, be rich in good deeds. That's, that's the treasures you need to be worried about. Be rich in good deeds. Make a difference in this world by reflecting the goodness of God into this world, by being good to each other. As a church, that has been one of our biggest callings since we began that we wanna be a group of people. Our, our, our elders and our finance team developed this phrase that I love and the idea is that we wanna be hilariously generous. That anytime there's a need that arises, and we're talking about money here, but there's so many different needs. Some people just need time. Some people need a hug. Some people need to just cry on your front porch for a little while. That's, and we say, let's not just be generous. Let's be hilariously generous. Let's be so generous with whatever God has given us that if anyone else looked at that, they would say, what are you doing? Like, that's a bit much, don't you think? And we want to be that people and we want everyone who's associated with us to be the same type of people. That people look and they don't say, wait, you guys must go to Venture Church. But no, they go, man, you must really believe what you say you believe about your God. Your work reflects the name of our God, even in our generosity. And Paul wraps up this letter to Timothy with one last reminder. And it's kind of our, our little, you know, walk off as we look at it too in verse 20. He says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Just pause on that for just a second. What has been entrusted to your care? Parents, we've got some treasures at our houses. Business owners, people with talent, skill. What do you have? This is a letter to Timothy, but I'm gonna straight paint this on all of us. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. He says, turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. And so I sat with my family and I'm looking at this old box of letters. And it was so neat going through all of them and I couldn't help but think, especially as I read the letter about my, my grandma, my nanny, 
I miss my nanny. She passed away several years ago, and, 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 and she, she, her mind began to leave her a long time before that, and I miss her. And it was so cool to have that connection with her through the letter when she was just a teenager. <laughs> like, wow. The, the thing that I couldn't escape was that everyone in that box was gone. It was 1940s, 1950s, 1960s when these letters were written, and, and the majority of the people even mentioned are no longer with us. And that's sad, and I don't mean to be morbid, but I was looking at this box, box and the thing, the thing, though, that hit me was, but what's cool is I know the rest of the story for a lot of them. And I can look back on the life of my grandmother, for example, and say, man, she made it through college. I don't know if she got those curtains or not, <laughs> but she made it, right? And she left a legacy through her life. And... And when I look through the pages of the Bible, particularly these letters, I get that same feeling. Paul and Timothy and the church at Ephesus are not with us anymore. But we can still look back on the example that they set and the lessons that they had to learn and we can ask ourselves, what can I walk away with the benefit of looking back on time? As we study God's word and as we get into these personal letters and personal writings from people, it's important for us to know that these are real people with real problems in this real world. And the same God that got them through that is the God who's with us today. We are loved by an eternal God who wants to know and be known by us. And he's fighting with us and he's fighting for us. And the lessons of godliness with contentment is great gain is still true. And that we can fight and pursue flee, take hold, is still true for us today. But we're not alone. We've got each other and we've got, we've got God's presence in our lives. I, I wanna close using Paul's words from chapter six, that, that little prayer he shared. And may this be a prayer that closes us out. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see to him be the honor and might forevermore that's first timothy chapter six that's the whole book of first timothy let's pray together today